I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberland. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We're so excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure to subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome, and thanks again for joining us. Great to be with you, Mike. Mary, so glad to be back. Yeah, absolutely. Archbishop, how's, uh, how's your last month, how's your last couple months been, actually, over the summer? How have things been for you? Well, uh, July was... Uh, a beautiful month. I had some time for vacation. August was fairly slow, but once you get within viewing distance of Labor Day, things pick up. So yeah, uh, they sure do. The last few <laughs> weeks have been very, very busy. Uh, yes. Things that people had stored up. But I, I had last few days, a few weeks. I've had some really powerful experiences. I uh, went to Gary, Indiana, for the funeral of. Uh, Bishop Dale Melchick, a mm. son of this archdiocese, who had been mm. our auxiliary bishop. And I was very glad to represent the archdiocese at his funeral. I think we can be very proud of him as a, a native son of this local church. Mm. Mm. That's awesome. right. Bishop McClory is there now as their presiding bishop. He right? is, yeah. right. Yeah. And then uh, I got to bless, uh, to dedicate a new altar at St. Peter Church in Mount Clemens. Well, that's always a beautiful occasion. And I think it was uh, a grace-filled time for the parish to be rededicated to being a, a place of Eucharistic hospitality. That's a great parish, too. I got to spend some time with Father Christopher there over the summer, and they're just doing great things. It's inspiring when you're at places where you can kind of feel the spirits really touching it. So that's fantastic. Yeah. And great. then uh, I got to uh, uh, be the uh, the monthly speaker for the Young Catholic Professionals Group. Uh, mm-hmm. me, they met this uh, uh, most recently at the Old St. Mary's in Greektown. And mm. that was very encouraging to see these uh, young professionals who are serious about the faith. Absolutely. That's great. That sounds like your last uh, few weeks have really ramped up. Did you, did you get some good time for relaxation, though, as well, Archbishop? In the summer, I did, yes. Yeah, I, had, I had a couple of weeks of vacation. Yeah, I'm, I'm always nagging the priests to be sure they take uh, time to... Uh, <laughs> Rejuvenate. You have to follow your your own advice there too. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Physician, heal thyself. Right. right. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Well, I know as we start this new academic year and into our Catholic schools, and I, and I know great news for our co-host Mary Wilkerson. She just started a new job at Divine Child as their campus minister. Mary, you want to share a little bit about that? Yeah, that's right. It's very exciting. God's plan is always, it just blows me away how good he is. And as my youngest entered kindergarten at Divine Child, so now I have five children at the grade school, a position opened up as the assistant campus minister. And so it's really a fantastic way to still work with young people. Parish life would have been really hard for me having still a young family, but being on the same campus with Young people, I get to work in, ev- in evangelization and also be with my kids. And they have an awesome thing going on. They have a podcast even called The Godcast. So they're doing great things, and I'm excited to be a part of it. Mary, your children aren't embarrassed to have you around. Okay, so they <laughs> will see. that it, It's really funny because we'll, time will tell, Archbishop Vigneron. Right now they're excited, but that could change quickly. So <laughs> they're still young enough that they're not at the age where uh, they're embarrassed. They're like psyched, but we are quickly approaching middle school and that situation might change. So we'll see. <laughs> 
Archbishop Ignorance, speaking of schools, do you have anything maybe that you wanted to mention to teachers or students as we begin this new school year? Well, certainly a word of encouragement. Uh, The mission of our schools is uh, both uh, for this world and the next, helping people, helping our students be wise and uh, well-learned so that they can have a a fruitful, productive life in this world, but always focused on moving toward the next. That's a great, great apostolate. And I want to give a word of encouragement to everybody who's engaged, faculty, staff, and students, and and families too, of course. Mm -hmm. Also, it seems like a good thing to do to say thanks to everyone for sacrifices that have been made to keep us and get us to this moment. Mm -hmm. We got through the last couple of years with a lot of blessings which came as the fruit of a lot of very, very devoted hard work. Uh And uh, I don't want any of us to take that for granted. You're so right there. We had shared um, at Divine Child that this is the first year in like three years that is appearing to be a normal year. Like, And I'm always like, knock on wood, we'll see uh, by God's grace. But it does appear there's a different kind of, I don't know, feeling that uh, we're over the hump and uh, we can get back to the work of education without some of the real difficulties that COVID presented. That like you said, so many staffs and administrations and students and families met with grace. But it's also going to be nice to be normal, I think. What does normal mean? (laughs) Yeah. Amen. Well, I mean, and I know we've spoken about it a few times on this uh, podcast already, but Family of Parishes, I know that uh, as of July 1, Wave 2, Family of Parishes officially launched. Um, and I wanted to ask you, Archbishop, how, how are, from your perspective, how are things going? I don't know if you have heard much from some of these parishes and just kind of what, what are your thoughts on how things are proceeding forward? Well, I give God praise and thanks. I think things are going very, very well. Uh, From the very beginning, uh, we knew that uh, we had an ambitious timetable uh, to Mm -hmm. make this shift. Uh, This way of organizing parishes and organizing the ministry of the parish priests has been necessitated by the decrease in number of our priests. Uh, But... uh, This is God's providence for us, and we need to find the grace in it. And I think families of parishes and teams of priests uh, are that uh, graced opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, So as I said, we've moved quickly. Uh, We've launched the second wave, um, a lot of hard work in the second wave. And especially I'd like to call out the wave one families, I think they've set a very good example. Mm. And already we're seeing uh, their hard work and their uh, abandonment to God is bearing very good fruit. And, and the whole point, of course, is that this is about mission. Uh, this is uh, not uh, a maintenance matter uh, as its own end. It's about helping us be uh, structured for mission. That's great. That's fantastic. As you look ahead, what comes next for families of parishes now that these waves are in play? What are some of the next steps immediately that we'll be looking at? Well, I think the uh, missionary strategic plans for the families uh, mm-hmm. to uh, see on the basis of uh, this new way of uh, being organized for the mission, uh, what we can do, what, what the family can do to uh, embrace the graces of the uh, Uh, Synod 16. Mm -hmm. You might think of it as uh, an opportunity to relaunch, uh, unleash the gospel in every family. It's exciting stuff on the horizon. God has uh, 
great plans for us. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. uh, he's inscrutable. Well, most times he's inscrutable <laughs> about how it's going to work. But it's yeah. his plan. It's his church. And yep. uh, if we abandon ourselves, uh, he will surprise us and bring us uh, uh, closer to the parousia. Amen. Well, this month we have uh, a very full topic plan because we're going to be discussing um, the Respect for Life Month in the U.S. Church. So October is Respect for Li uh, Life Month. And obviously, um, at this particular point in history, it just seems to be such a hopeful and urgent and um, challenging time. And so we're going to discuss that today as we move through our podcast. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is, do you know when the U.S. Church started recognizing Respect for Life Month in October and why it is in October? Well, uh, a little bit of research has helped me with this one, uh, uh -huh. Mary. It started in uh, uh, 1972. Uh, okay. So that would have been a few months before the Roe versus Wade decision. And I think uh, October is chosen because it's when the Supreme Court term begins. And uh, to this point in our country, so much of the, uh, the struggle to... Mm -hmm. uh, advance uh, the right to life has been a, a, a struggle in the courts. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because like you in, in digging in for this podcast, seeing that Respect for Life is in October because that's when the Supreme Court begins their term, right? And so that it we've seen especially how integral the courts are in this particular discussion. Um, what does respect for life mean in the context of what it means to be pro-life in the context of uh, respect for life during October? Um, can you speak a little bit about that term, respect for life? I think uh, I would put it under two headings, Mary. First mm -hmm. of all, respect means we're called to cherish uh, and to defend and to protect uh, the most vulnerable from mm -hmm. the conception of life uh, to the end at natural death. And every point in between, uh, the church espouses a, a faith-based humanism, which mm -hmm. is... Uh, uh, directed by our, our belief in the Lord Jesus and his message, but also you can, uh, it, it stands with, on the basis of a lot of wisdom that uh, even people of goodwill without Christian faith can recognize as appropriate. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, it's about defending the dignity of the human person and enshrining that in our way of life. I also uh, think, uh, well, I think a second point to be emphasized uh, is underscored by the title of the encyclical on respecting life that St. John Paul II wrote, mm -hmm. uh, The Gospel of Life, mm -hmm. that this is good news that we share. And uh, part of our evangelization is to offer this beautiful witness uh, about the dignity of uh, life created by God the Father, mm -hmm. willed by God the Father, and uh, offer it to the world as a way to find joy and peace and flourishing. I love that focus on the, the goodness of life, because I think sometimes in the tension of trying to discuss this thing, uh, this topic, we, we miss the fact that we have such good news here in terms of the human person. Um, and associating words like good and joy and beauty with this discussion, I think, is so very important. Uh, we live in a culture that tends to equate what's good with what's convenient, uh, mm. what is uh, sort of satisfying to our appetites. Yeah. And um, 
we have a higher notion of the good. Uh, by saying that uh, human life is good, uh, we're not uh, naive about the challenges that come with uh, respecting human life and being dedicated to life. Let's just take uh, the simple example of a a family. Uh, Is it better to uh, have a lot of good things or is it better to have children? And children are a blessing. They, I mean, Mary, I'm not telling you your business. <laughs> no, it's true. I do like them. <laughs> no, most yeah, days. but I hear you. Yes, most days. Yes, most days. I mean, it's but a challenge. Right. We acknowledge yeah. Uh, yeah. being engaged with uh, being dedicated, being mm-hmm. uh, involved with other human beings, being at their disposal uh, is inconvenient. But the problem in our culture is we tend to uh, identify completely what's convenient and efficient with what's good and the goods of convenience and efficiency are not going to make us happy they're right. not what we're made for yep. we're made for love and love is always inconvenient yeah i like the way you said that that's so good love is always inconvenient it's so very true but um you know like they say a lot of times you know like a, a discipline is a path towards freedom but we want freedom without the discipline part of it in our today's culture, you know, like, and you just, you just can't have one without the other in its truest sense, you know? So Mm -hmm. that's beautiful, Archbishop. I know, I I know that, uh, obviously, as we said, October, we're, we're celebrating Respect Life Month. I wanted to ask you specifically of, uh, what are we doing some of the things in the Archdiocese of Detroit to recognize this Respect for Life Month, Archbishop? Well, I think in some ways the most important things are what will be going on in the parishes and uh, the pro-life uh, office, the, uh, my co-workers who uh, lead on that part of uh, the Curia, they're helping the parishes with their observance. But at the diocesan-wide level, we have two signal events on uh, Respect Life Sunday, October the 2nd. I'm going to be offering uh, Mass at the cathedral And then on the 23rd of October, uh, there's another Mass at the cathedral with uh, special prayers dedicated to pregnancy and infant loss. Mm -hmm. And then the third thing that's very important for Respect Life Month is uh, uh, a reinvigorated drive on this initiative from the Bishop's Conference called Walking with Moms in Need. Sounds like we have so much going on, which is awesome. So let's dig in just a little bit to each of those things briefly, if that's okay. So when we talk about the um, Mass for Respect for Life on Sunday, that's going to be at 11 o'clock on October 2nd at the Cathedral. What are kind of the plans for that particular liturgy? Well, I'm the principal celebrant, and the focus is on giving thanks to God for the gift of human life. Mm. By God's providence, very, very significant the Dobbs decision overturning Roe uh, was announced on the feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't help but think what, what joy it brought the heart of Jesus mm-hmm. to see that this uh, wound to uh, human life and human dignity uh, was uh, overthrown on, on the day of his feast. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the Mass on uh, October the 2nd is taking time at the beginning of Respect Life Month to give praise and thanks to Christ, his heart, for the gift of all human life made in his image and likeness. Really to think of joining our hearts to his, uh, praising the Father, the Lord and giver of life. 
in the power of the Spirit. You also mentioned that we're going to have a Mass in the Archdiocese of Detroit on October 23rd for prayers during Pregnancy and Infant Loss Month. Is this something that we do annually? And can you speak just a little bit about this liturgy and why it's so important in the Archdiocese? Yes, it is something we do every year, and uh, it's uh, focused especially on offering, uh, being one uh, in prayer with uh, parents who perhaps have lost a child uh, uh, in uh, in in before birth or shortly after birth. Also for parents uh, who have the loss of. uh, they feel of not being able yet to have a child, to join with them in prayer, offering their uh, sufferings along with them to the Lord, stand with them in solidarity, in communion, and uh, invite the Lord to sustain them. It's one more way. Uh, here, I'd love to use again Pope Francis's one of his favorite words, accompaniment. It's a way mm. for the whole archdiocese to accompany uh, our brothers and sisters who are experiencing these griefs. For parents and families of pregnancy and infant loss, there we give them a special memorial rosary, a special blessing. And after Mass, there's an opportunity to inscribe the names of children who have been lost in pregnancy in the Memorial Book of Innocence. And we also have a relic of St. Gerard Magella, who is the patron saint of expected mothers. And prayers uh, for the gift of children uh, to those who are hoping to become parents. You know, such a beautiful thing. I know, obviously, our faith professes that we believe at conception there is, uh, you know, a a human person there. Um, And so it's a beautiful part to do this, because I know even myself as, you know, my wife and I, we struggled for years with infertility, had a... a, um, you know, a miscarriage than a stillbirth ourselves. So we very much walked that road. And um, so to, to take the time out to pray and just to acknowledge rather than kind of sweep it under the carpet, but to acknowledge that there was a human person there and to take time to pray for their intercession, to just pray for yourselves for healing, just uh, to acknowledge that. I think that's a huge piece of that pro-life movement um, mm-hmm. and the pro- pro-life acknowledgement. So it's a beautiful thing that you're you're having that Mass Archbishop. Mike, I really treasure your own testimony. That's a beautiful thing to speak. So uh, speak here publicly about something that's so personal. That's a, God bless you for that. And the other thing I, I always want to remind you and those who share this uh, path that you've been on, that uh, your children are not lost to you, mm. uh, but there, there will come a day when you can embrace them and have the joy with them that you would have hoped to, to have had in this world. Mm. That in Jesus, that's the, that's the grace in Jesus. Thank you, Archbishop. Thank you. You also mentioned, Archbishop Vigneron, you mentioned a new initiative called Walking with Moms in Need. Um, this is something I'm not too familiar with. It, it seems like it's something just being kind of kicked off. And so do you want to uh, give us a little glimpse of what that is within the Church in the United States and here in the Archdiocese of Detroit? It's a, a, an initiative that's uh, directed out of the Bishop's Conference and especially our, our pro-life committee. Uh, and it's new and not new. Uh, what it's aimed at doing is gathering together and organizing uh, resources that uh, abound 
for caring for women and their children, especially women who are experiencing what we often refer to as crisis pregnancies. Mm -hmm. So it's about raising awareness uh, locally of what resources exist. And then when we see where there are gaps in those resources, uh, to fill them in. And to be sure that at, in, in our diocese, we would say, in, at least in every family, uh, there is a, a focus on this, uh, this apostolate of walking with moms in need. So for every f uh, family of parishes to organize itself around uh, this structure, what do we have in our family so that any woman who uh, needs support in uh, her pregnancy, in caring for her child, children, uh, she, she finds a welcome here. Mm -hmm. And what might we do better to be more welcoming and more supportive? That, that, that's who we are as the church. I know it's such a great initiative. I know, you know, so many of our parishes, you know, they have, you know, St. Vincent de Paul societies and things like that. So if, if somebody finds themselves unable to pay bills or unable to uh, make ends meet, they can go to a Catholic parish and usually find some sort of assistance in some way, shape or form. Um, but I love this because it's really trying to double down on, you know, women uh, will sometimes seek out abortions. There's a reason for it, obviously. And we're trying to minimize or eliminate those those reasons through this type of ministry and, and providing the resources available so it becomes hopefully unthinkable. They they wouldn't, um, they have options other than just, I think sometimes they, they feel that they're optionless and the only option left is, is abortion, obviously. And um, that's, that's horrible. And so we're trying, this is a great initiative to try to seek to correct that. So that's wonderful, Archbishop. This is part of being pro-life. Uh, mm -hmm. Not only are we defending uh, the right to life, uh, we're opposed to the so-called right to abortion, but uh, we stand as uh, uh, ready to accompany people in uh, supporting the dignity of every human person. Every life is a gift, mm -hmm. not, always an in, not always a convenient gift, but every life is a blessing and a gift. It's such a good reminder too. We, um, in light of the Dobbs decision and some of just the the rhetoric sometimes that happens within news media and within our culture, um, I found myself getting a little bit bogged down just in my personal life with trying to turn on the news or listening to different opinions, and it can be exhausting. And the Lord spoke very clearly into my heart this summer that in response of some of the tension that we're experiencing, especially, and we'll talk in a little bit, a, a proposed ballot that might be coming in November, we could get discouraged. And I felt like the Spirit spoke so loudly to move forward in action. And so, you know, we did a lot of work just as a family seeking out, like, where are our <clears throat> crisis pregnancy centers or women's centers? Where can we really throw in our efforts, both with volunteer offers and, and with financial means to be able to support these organizations that are supporting women? And it's so exciting to see, <clears throat> excuse me, the Archdiocese doing that um, in union, right, with the United States bishops, that we're all looking at this together because there is such good work to be done that we can be invited into maybe to step outside some of the ugly conversation that we're witnessing. Yes, to, uh, to pitch in and uh, advance the kingdom uh, one, uh, one meter, one yard at a time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So good. And I know all priests and deacons in the archdiocese were invited to an informal meeting about this proposal. Can you tell us a little bit about that meeting and what was shared there? 
Well, this was uh, one of our regular all priest meetings. And I, uh, the priests have been told about walking with moms in need through uh, uh, email, newsletters and such. I, I simply reiterated how important it is and uh, my hope that there would be this ministry in every family of parishes. I think it needs to be a priority. And as you said, Mary, uh, we may have this extreme ballot proposal on uh, up for election in November, but whether it passes or fails, uh, uh, we st we will need uh, walking with moms in need. Right, uh, right. It's just very, very. It's central to uh, to our identity as disciples of Christ. Yep. And for our listeners, just so they know, um, any of our listeners can visit aod.org slash pro-life to talk about different priests that might be able to speak at their parishes and establishing WWMIN, which is Walking with Moms in Need chapters within their parishes or their families. So that's a good resource, I think, for any of our listeners to take it back to their parish if they haven't heard any buzz right around their community or in their family. Maybe the Lord is calling you to take initiative. And so that would be a good place to start, wouldn't you say, Archbishop? I would say, Mary, you are the voice of the Holy Spirit on that. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. Um, that's great. You know, Archbishop, I know back in May we had a, a guest on and we were speaking a little bit about the possibility of a ballot proposal. And, and I know you recently released a letter and a video uh, to the faithful um, speaking about this. You know, we're not exactly sure if it will go through or not, but I didn't know if you wanted to, to speak a little bit more into um, what is possibly up for proposal um, and, and what we how we should respond to this. Sure, Mike. Uh, it's my understanding that uh, we'll know a lot more by the time the podcast is broadcast out there, whether or not this is on uh, uh, the ballot for the November election. But prescinding from that, we already do need to be uh, to be working here in uh, in the dioceses of, uh, of Michigan. Uh, you asked about the proposal. I think it's fairly uh, rightly described as an anything goes abortion proposal. Uh, abortion would be unregulated, on demand throughout all nine months of pregnancy. And it's quite clear to me that if this language, uh, as uh, vague as it is, is embedded into the state constitution, our laws prohibiting partial birth abortion, taxpayer funding of abortion, uh, requiring parental consent, informed consent, uh, protecting the rights of conscience for people who don't want to participate in abortion. This whole host of protections that we've developed over, over time uh, would uh, be contrary to this, this new part of the Constitution and uh, I think uh, it's, a, it's an extreme proposal that even people who, uh, with whom I don't agree, who might make some exceptions about the, the right to life, I think they'll find it uh, onerous. I mean, I think especially the idea that uh, minors can uh, receive uh, abortion without parental consent, uh, without parental notice, I think... Uh, that people find that horrifying. 
Yeah. You know, and it's one of those things too. I think now is the time to pay attention. I know with state politics, sometimes it's, you know, it's not on our radar as much, but we'll start to see commercials. And I think it's important for um, us to do our due diligence to make sure that we understand what's happening and and to to speak up. Because in some ways, I think just watching some of the, the conversation in our state, um, some of the proposals that are being, um, I don't know, suggested, they're coming off as reasonable and you have to kind of look deep to see some of the things that you mentioned Archbishop Vigner on that um, would be really dangerous um, for most people of good, most people of goodwill wouldn't even consider these at all rational. And so um, paying attention, I think is really important right now. And uh, we're, we're aiming to do our part uh, both within the church and in the public forum to help people pay attention. You asked mm-hmm. uh, about uh, the priests Mm-hmm. Uh, and the deacons. Uh, they recently invited to an informational meeting about the proposal. And the aim is uh, for us priests and deacons to be better educated so that uh, in our leadership, uh, we will uh, uh, direct people according to uh, those facts in that life. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, what will happen is a panel of speakers uh, to help priests uh, deal with the issue. Uh, Mm -hmm. Some of it will be about understanding the um, amendment, uh, what it means uh, in terms of politics and the the Constitution. Uh, There'll be uh, medical professionals, uh, OBGYN physicians to Mm -hmm. uh, review uh, medical misconceptions. And also uh, the priests and the deacons are being given tools to help them preach and teach and uh, inform the faithful. Following the webinar, there'll be a package of resources from the Archdiocese and uh, the Michigan Catholic Conference to the parishes. And uh, I'm hoping anybody who's listening to the podcast will will be engaged. Later Mm -hmm. on, we can talk about three simple steps of engagement. I think uh, I'd like to save that for a little bit later, but I hope everybody, uh, I hope people in their prayer will listen for the Holy Spirit's voice about how they're being invited to uh, be missionaries of the gospel of life. In your your letter, you mentioned a coalition called Citizens to Support Michigan Women and Children. Can you tell us a little bit about that coalition, what you can tell us, and if they're um, connected to the AOD? Sure, happy to do that. Uh, I think most of the listeners know that uh, the seven dioceses of Michigan have a a vehicle for working together in the public forum, which is the Michigan Catholic Conference. Of course, the Archdiocese is a part of that. So this is the public policy arm of the Catholic Church, uh, the Catholic churches, the Catholic uh, diocese in the state uh, for working in the public forum. Uh, We have authorized the leadership of the conference to partner with Right to Life Michigan and uh, more than a dozen other pro-life organizations to form this coalition called Citizens to Support Michigan, or MI, Citizens to Support MI Women and Children to oppose uh, this uh, dangerous proposal if it gets on the ballot. And so this is a way for uh, the, the Catholic Church and her public outreach to be aligned with other people of goodwill uh, to work for the common good. Any funds donated to the coalition to support this work are are used to educate and to uh, advance uh, the defeat of this uh, 
extreme uh, change to our state constitution. I could say here, perhaps, that uh, if people want uh, information, they can go to supportmiwomenandchildren.org. Nice short address. No, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Although it's easy to remember, though, it is. Yeah, yeah it is. It is. It's true. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. Support miwomenandchildren.org. Yeah. Yeah. It's important. And I, I think, again, like just to our listeners and myself, like I'm going to make sure to go check out these websites and see where I can get involved. I do. I feel now is the time to act. So it's good. Amen. And, and I think, Mary, act with confidence. Uh, St. Paul says in the letter to the Romans, for those who love God, all things work unto the good. Yes. Uh, We we proceed in unshakable hope. Mm. Archbishop, you uh, alluded to it earlier, but I know in your letter, you have uh, three specific invitations on that that movement of action, if you will, like what what you're at really calling and asking the people of the archdiocese to do. Um, And I know it's kind of, you know, pray, vote and give. I don't know if you wanted to speak into that a little bit more and... Uh, share some of your reflections that you did in the letter? Happy to, Mike. Certainly pray is the most important thing that uh, all of us disciples of the Lord Jesus can do. Uh, Pray that uh, uh, people recognize how extreme this ballot proposal is, the damage it would do uh, to uh, our civic life here in, in Michigan, the dangers it poses for women, children, and their families. Um, Prayer is so important because uh, uh, this uh, proposal is one more effort uh, at lying uh, about the, the dignity of the human person, about the sanctity of life, uh, about the unborn child, and about what will make for uh, uh, a healthy respect for human rights and human dignity. Prayer is very important. It's a spiritual battle. Vote. We're a democracy, and we're going to have the, the, the state, the country, that we all decide to make it. And so we have a responsibility. And then I would ask people to think about giving to support the coalition, Citizens to Support MI Women and Children, uh, and the effort of the coalition to educate voters to Uh, prepare them for the election. I love things that are, um, that we can remember very easily. (laughs) So pray, vote, give is just a good thing for us as a takeaway, I think, from our podcast today and how can we as individuals and as families and as parishes and as parish families, uh, make sure that we're praying and we're voting and we're giving. It's, it's important. PVG. Love it. <laughs> uh, Archbishop, is there anything else? We, we talked about so much today, and it's just such a relevant topic. So I can't thank you enough for sharing um, your wisdom with us and your insight and direction. Is there anything else you want to kind of mention before we move on to questions? I think uh, it can all seem so overwhelming, very complicated. And the forces, uh, the pro-death forces that we face are very, very powerful. Um I take refuge in uh, going to Our Lady of Guadalupe, and uh, she's more powerful than all these other forces arrayed against Mm. us. And I would just, you know, Mary, I agree, pray, vote, give is, uh, makes it, it helps make it simple, Mm -hmm. but maybe even a, a simpler way when we need it is Our Lady of Guadalupe, pray for us. Pray for us, Mm. yeah. Well, thank you for sharing with us, Archbishop. 
So we've reached the point in our podcast where we get to ask you, Archbishop Vigneron, some questions from the faithful. If you're listening and you'd like to submit a question, feel free to email us at eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. When you email, make sure to include your name and your parish. Again, that email is eyesonjesuspodcast at aod.org. Our first question comes from Jacob at St. Francis Cabrini. I love this question. Jacob asks, what was your first car and do you have a favorite car? First car, I got it after I finished seminary. Uh, I asked my father actually to buy it for me. He's much more practical than I was. And and, uh, it was a used car. I think it was a Buick, uh, fairly old. And uh, it has... My recollection is it was a sickly green, and it had <laughs> it had a lot of wiring problems. So that if I went through uh, a very uh, deep puddle, uh, it shorted out and the car would stall. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's amazing! <laughs> so uh, I don't have a favorite car, but that would that car would be not qualified even uh, for any consideration <laughs> that's awesome i had a i had a chevette is my first car a 1985 chevette and mine stalled out on a sunday going into mass um but you know how there's always like a car line to turn into mass right when you're kind of getting there right in the nick of time and i stopped the entire car line to turn into the parish and i'll never forget i was like 16 years old and so embarrassed so oh, all those old cars <laughs> Archbishop, I have a question from Chris at St. Regis, and he asks, uh, you've mentioned your devotion to Our Lady of Lourdes and your appreciation for the sacrament of the sick. Have you ever received the sacrament of the sick? And if so, would you be willing to share what that experience was like a little bit? And if not, was uh, what is it like to administer the sacrament to other people? I don't recall if I've ever received the sacrament of the sick. Uh, I had a very bad accident where I broke my arm. I certainly would have qualified for it, but I don't remember if uh, uh, anybody was it, thought... Was it an accident in your me. green car? <laughs> <laughs> That's it, funny. It came, it came much, much later, so I have, yeah. I have no memory to, to share of an experience. Yeah. Mm. But I do have very beautiful memories of administering the sacrament. Uh, mm. What... Uh, what I understand what, what's on my heart when I perform the sacrament, the rite, is that it's a continuation of what we hear in the Gospels. Mm-hmm. You know, that Jesus touched them, healed them with his touch. And the sacri- he, our Lord gave us this sacrament so that his touch could continue in every place and in every time. And so... When I anoint the hands of the sick and I anoint their head, that is Christ touching them in their Mm. illness. Mm. And uh, that's what it's like. Mm. It's it's, uh, being uh, this transparent instrument in the hand of Christ. My hand is his hand at that moment. Our final question comes from Holly at Guardian Angels, and Holly says, what or asks, what is the best homily you've ever heard? What is the best homily you've ever given? So she's asking for a bit of self-evaluation here, too. Well, yes, fair <laughs> enough. 
Um, by the way, I don't think I'm that interesting. Um, <laughs> You've had some good ones. I've heard them. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> you have Best a podcast. Homily. They don't give a podcast yes. to people that aren't interesting, Archbishop. <laughs> <laughs> Best homily. I don't know if it's the very best, but one mm -hmm. that uh, has impressed me uh, f over many years now is a homily I once heard the now Archbishop of Toronto give, uh, Archbishop Thomas Collins, who's a friend of mine. We were seminary rectors at the same time, he over mm -hmm. in London, Ontario, and me here in Detroit. And I heard uh, the Archbishop, I heard the Cardinal give a homily where he commented on the book of Revelation. And he talked about how impressive all of the rhetoric is in the book of Revelation about the Lamb and the power of the Lamb and the throne of the Lamb and the, the, uh, the great force of the, the triumph of Christ the King in history. And he said, please remember that when the people in Ephesus heard this uh, prophecy, uh, they would have had concern that the next dock on, knock on the door would have been the forces of the emperor coming to take them away and execute them. So don't under, the point being not to underestimate uh, the faith that they had in the triumph of Jesus over the powers of the world. And uh, I just, uh, I, I had never thought of the, the, what the scholars call the Zitzimleben, the situation in life in which this text uh, was prepared and heard and how powerful that uh, insight was to me. Um, other things, you know, I'm going to take a, press the question a little farther here, best homily, best preaching, and it's not about hearing, I've read it. Uh, the most impressive preaching I've ever read are the texts of the sermons of St. John Henry Newman. They've had a tremendous impact in my life, my understanding of uh, the Christian faith and the demands that Jesus makes upon me as his disciple. Um, I owe so very much to the charisms that were given to uh, John Henry Newman. Hmm. Best homily I ever gave? I don't know. You'd have to, I don't know if anybody, <laughs> yes, th that maybe will be a question for the last judgment uh, <laughs> when the book of life is read out. But uh, a homily that I most treasure having given was at Lourdes uh, hmm. when I was able to uh, make a, a presentation or, or sh I hope show to uh, the pilgrims uh, that uh, the, Our Lady of Lourdes is an evangelist, that she's the model for the new evangelization. Uh, some of the readers will have heard me say this, that it is not without significance that our Lord Jesus sent his mother to offer a word of comfort and consolation in the city dump, mm -hmm. in the place mm -hmm. where people put their garbage. Mm -hmm. And I th read that as meaning that everybody's got garbage in life. And uh, Our Lady came as a witness that Christ doesn't leave us when we have our garbage, but he's there with us. Uh, and uh, sometimes he cures us, but he's always ready to heal us. And I believe that's, that's the mission uh, of the Blessed Virgin Mary when she was sent to Lourdes.
to witness to that. And so the fact that I could say that at Lourdes to pilgrims uh, is one of the treasures of my life. Oh, yeah. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you, Archbishop, for answering some of those questions. I, uh, you know, all of our listeners, I invite you always to keep Archbishop, of course, in prayer. And uh, specifically, Archbishop, do you have any intentions that we can keep in mind and in prayer for you this uh, over the course of this next month? Well, I'd ask people, please, to, well, certainly for the defeat of uh, this uh, extreme constitutional ballot proposal, but uh, also for people to... Uh, pick up again with our effort to pray for priestly vocations from the archdiocese and invite people particularly to pray for priestly vocations from their families and uh, from their own parishes. Amen. And Archbishop, I wouldn't, would you mind uh, closing our show today with uh, your own blessing and prayer? Lord God, we thank you that uh, you have given us the light of Jesus Christ, uh, a light for our path. Uh, directing us to the home you have prepared for us. We thank you for this podcast. I thank you for all who will listen to it and ask that uh, good fruit be born in their lives in our world through the power of your spirit. And may Almighty God bless all of you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Archbishop. Thanks, Archbishop. You're most welcome. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoy listening, you might also like Detroit Stories, a podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.